Attention, this is a matter of national security. After a meteorite crashed into the New Jersey Turnpike, the following digital audio transmission from the You Watch I Listen podcast was intercepted by NASA scientists in the year 2019. The You Watch I Listen podcast is about to start. Sit down, listen close, and try not to die. The You Watch I Listen podcast starts now. evacuated for a bomb threat. Oh, fuck you. A couple other really funny news stories. Kenny G. Who the fuck is Kenny G? The fucking clarinet player. What did he do wrong? He's being Charles Manson all weird. In the middle of it, he cuts her off and goes, Oh, fuck yeah. Take it out, take it out. Now I see why people followed Charles Manson. He was very straightforward. He had the right idea. It's time for the You Watch I Listen podcast, and always remember, don't sniff it, just do it. Hey, 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 hey. welcome, guys. Josh Taylor, welcome. Hello. And welcome, welcome to our audience to the second episode of the You Watch I Listen interview series. Um, I'm really, really excited about this one. Uh, we're going to be joined shortly by Jonathan Snowden, a uh, writer for Bleacher Report. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the work he's been doing, but specifically about his brand new book that just came out on Friday. It is available on Amazon uh, in paperback or on your Kindle uh, called Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. I just finished the book last night. Uh, Unbelievable. Can't wait to talk to him about it. Um, but our interview with Mr. Snowden is brought to you by none other than Primal Urge Foods. Taylor. Now, guys, you're stuck. You're quarantined. You're tired of all the shit that's going on, you know, and all the shit that's going through. And I, I mean, there's one thing that's been helping me get through all this COVID nonsense. And it's been like, you know, these Primal Urge boxes, um, you know, pr- they're primarily just these beef sticks. You know what I mean? And it's not just beef. It's it. They got venison. They got crazy shit like alligator beef sticks. Yeah, they, I mean, they have a wide variety of different meats. That'll be pretty cool. I mean, you know, if you want to expand your palate and not be a peasant, that would be cool. Uh, I mean, and the, the the cool thing about it is like, the, you know, they, they were really big uh, fans of the show. They started sending me a free monthly subscription, you know, and for the next couple months, too. Uh, I brought them to work. For my father, uh, he used to be a hunter, but now he's more of a fisherman. But uh, he really digs it. He doesn't. He he's just not a fan of like, of like the ostrich meat. That was the yeah, weird one. That's the ostrich meat is very uh, gamey. Yeah, you know, it's 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 all it's all what you're up to. But 
the cool thing is that you know you could you could save some money if you ever want to go get your subscription. You know, you go to www.primalurgefoods.com, use promo code YWIL for twenty percent off your subscription. So, so you're telling awesome. me that our our listeners could go to primalurgefoods.com, use promo code YWIL, and they'll get a monthly subscription. And with that promo code, they will get twenty percent off that subscription. You will get twenty percent off that subscription. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> that is fantastic. And unfortunately for you guys, uh, using promo code Y WIL does not give you access to my meat stick, but if you DM me, I might be able to help you out with that. You probably will. I mean, you do, all you have to do is butter him up a little bit, and you might you might think about it. And uh, the guys at PrimalUrgeFoods.com uh, did send me some of these boxes as well. And uh, what I'm going to do is for anyone that purchases Mr. Jonathan Snowden's book, Shamrock: The World's Most Dangerous Man on Amazon, send me a screenshot of your receipt, and I'm going to send you one free box that'll have all different kinds of goodies in it. So. It's literally easy, guys. You go buy his book, whether it's paperback or the Kindle version for 10 bucks. Send me the receipt, and I'm going to send you a free meat, meat stick box. Oh, oh, the joy. Oh, the rapture. Yeah. Um, so, and, and listen, they get free shit out of it. And on top of that, they're going to get to read an awesome book. Um, you know, this, is, this book, I will say, is a must read for any MMA fan for any pro wrestling fan, for any sports fan. Uh, it, it was, I was telling you guys about it. it. It really reads like an encyclopedia of the entire history of mixed martial arts and in a lot of ways pro wrestling. When you think about how long a guy like Ken Shamrock has been around, the earliest days of the sport, the first really bankable star the sport ever had, and it goes from the, the beginning, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, and everything in between. Um, uh, I, I can't recommend it enough to both of you guys to read as well. Yeah, so I placed an order, and uh, you know I'm still waiting for the, uh, the the Alan Paul book to come in, the Allman Brothers book, and I'm also I just placed the order about a couple days ago for uh, the book is Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Um, so that that's gonna be by it's gonna be at my house next Friday. So give me something to do. Yeah, I mean it, it was such a, a a easy read to get through. It was like shocking to me how I couldn't put it down. Like I, I was playing Call of Duty and I like picked it up while the game was loading to just read a couple pages, and then I realized I got booted from the game because I didn't jump back in because <laughs> I was just flying through. It, that, it was <laughs> that good. Um, I, I can't, you know, and Ken Shamrock's career is really one of the most fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I heard about, uh, Jonathan Wright in this book, uh, a few years back, he kind of did a Kickstarter for it and wanted to see what fans interest in it would be. And, uh, it was massive. And I've actually gotten to know Jonathan a little bit on Twitter through the years, uh, through a mutual friend in Ryan Loco, uh, who did the cover art for this book, uh, one of the best photographers in combat sports. And, uh, I've been, I, I talked to him a couple years ago when it was still Ralph, that was co-hosting about having him on the show. And he said, when the book comes out, I will be on your show. Jonathan Snowden is a man of his word. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to hear some of like some real, like not, not dirt. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give the book well, away or anything like yeah, that. He doesn't want to give any, any, you know, I, I really want to talk about more um, what it was like in the no Ken, how it all came about, anything that surprised him, uh, anything, you know, he's the guy that is, you know, one of the, I, I call him a historian into mixed martial arts and pro wrestling. And I'm sure there were some things in here that even shocked him. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the pro wrestling, just real quick before he jumps on, uh, I watched the Dark Side of the Ring, where the guy slaps the shit out of the reporter. Uh, Doctor D, Dave Schultz, it's awesome dude. Such yeah. a such a good fucking series. 
yeah, I heard the one last night. I don't remember what who the subject was, but my buddy, who's a big wrestling fan, um, texted me and said I had to watch it. So I'll probably watch that one tonight. It is really just a fantastic series. Yeah, it's so good. Josh, have you seen any of it yet or no? I know. Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't jumped in and watched any of it yet. Oh my! None of it. Like not even not even the Benoit stuff. No, none of it. You, you know what else he hasn't watched any of is the Last Dance. You haven't watched any of the Last well, Dance. No, that's either? on purpose. That's on purpose. Uh, oh, yeah. I haven't you watched. Want to binge it. Uh, yeah. So it's gonna be on Netflix, and once it's on Netflix, it's gonna be on Netflix right away. Once the once all the new the episodes have uh, aired, it's gonna be on Netflix right away, and I I want to just kind of dedicate really? a day to. Is that true? Because it's an ESPN property. Yeah, no, it yeah. is. It 100% is. I've, I've heard that on the radio, too. I think Boomer and Geo has mentioned something about it yesterday or the day before. Okay, yeah, I had no idea. I figured because it's an ESPN thing, it'd be right on ESPN+. Plus. I didn't hear anything about it being on Netflix. Yeah, no, that, I think that's relatively oh, yeah, yeah. new it development. Was, it was it was a joint production, that's why. Makes sense. Yeah, they announced that back in 2018. Um, but... Yeah. So uh, actually, I see uh, J- Jonathan is on the line now. Jonathan, how's it going, man? You got Dan Taylor and Josh on the line. Hey, how are you guys doing? I- I'm doing well, thanks. How's up, everything man? go? How are you guys doing? Uh, your family with a uh, quarantine and uh, everything going on? Well, I'm hiding in the back room right now. <laughs> if you hear any strange noises, it's probably one of two kids. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to to be here together all the time, every minute of every day. But uh, it, we're, we're getting through it. Yeah, I mean, our, your situation and our situations, are, you know, we're, we're pretty blessed compared to what some people are going through. Um, I can't imagine with kids. I mean, I just got a puppy and I have a handful with that with two kids. I can't imagine. But uh, hopefully everyone's not giving you a headache all the time and you're not giving them a headache. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I really appreciate you jumping on uh, with us at You Watch, I Listen. Um, this is Dan speaking. Uh, we've talked on Twitter quite a bit through the years. Um, I finished up your book last night, Shamrock, The World's Most Dangerous Man, available on Amazon now. Uh, I got to say, it was just I was floored by it. Uh, as someone that is a, a diehard MMA fan and was pretty much raised watching it from the beginning with my father and brothers, there was so much stuff in here that I I didn't even know. And I'm, I'm one of these guys that's been on all the forums and uh, the same ones you've probably been on throughout the years. Um, now, how did this project come about? Yeah, well, first, uh, thanks for, for all those kind words. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, what was remarkable about the project was I, I felt the same way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I learned a lot doing this, and I, obviously I thought I knew a lot already about Ken Shamrock. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, as you found out, and I did too, like there, there's there's a lot we didn't know. Um, so the I don't know. You know, there's kind of like a long story attached to, to how it came about. Uh, I met Ken in – I think it was 2015. He was about to fight um, Kimbo Slice, and and I went to do a story on him for Bleacher Report and CNN. He was training and he was living in a mobile home outside of the gym in San Diego, and so it was a a pretty cool story. And and, and we hit it off pretty well, I think. And and I remember at one point uh, I was asking him some questions, and he he said, um, I, "I think you know more about my career than than I do." Yeah, and, and I remember I reading that, that in the book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that may have started the the, the entire journey. And so uh, fast forward a little bit because I'm I'm not one of these MMA kind of journalists that 
is attempting to be like buddies with the fighters and stuff. So I, I did this story on Ken. Uh, it was a it was a really successful story for us and for him, I think. But you know, I I, I didn't speak to him again afterwards. Um, and, and then I, I met I met his team in Houston. He was fighting Hoist Gracie for Bellator. And we had dinner the, the night before the fight. Um, Ken wasn't there, but his manager and Guy Metzger was there and Frank Shamrock was there and some others. And, and you know, they're, they're telling stories about Ken. And I, I start to realize kind of that – uh, even though there's already been two previous books about Ken, stories like mine and a million video interviews and, you know, media for, for decades. Uh, yeah. There was so much that we didn't know. Like they're telling all these stories. I had never heard any of them. And and I'm a, I've written two books that previously that had touched on Ken Shamrock, you know, so um, that, that kind of got the wheels turning. So then um, – not long after that, they they Ken's manager came to me about uh, writing a book with Ken, and but this was an exercise book. They wanted to, okay. you know, an exercise book about like how old guys stay in shape or something. Um, totally outside of my realm of expertise or interest, and I I, I kind of gently turned it down. But then you know I'm, the wheels are turning, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to do that book, but I would be interested in writing a book about Ken. And so I just kind of pitched it to him. I said, you know, I don't want to do this exercise book for sure. No, but, uh, I would be interested in writing a, a book about your life. And, uh, I don't really know why they were so willing to change gears <laughs> from like <laughs> forgetting about the exercise book that someone had yeah. offered, offered the money for. I don't know what the story is with that, but for whatever reason, they, they agreed to do this project and, uh, we were sort of, I wouldn't say off and running. We were off and slow walking from there. Well, and, you know, you covered so much in there from, you know, his troubled upbringing to being uh, adopted by Bob Shamrock and taking on his name to uh, the early days of the lion's den. And, you know, if you're an MMA fan, you always heard the stories about just how brutal the lion's den was, you know, for the, two that, the, the two that were the most notorious for just legendary beatdowns and training were shoot the box and lion's den. But I was shocked at just how much guys like Vernon White and Jerry Bolander and Guy Mesker said, yeah, you know, Ken just put it right to us every single camp. Um, and you had interviews with so many of those guys that said when Ken came in in a certain mood, you knew that you were in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was it was worse than I thought. And, you know, I, I already had I had bad feelings about even just saying the words lion lion's den. You know, it was uh, that notorious. But I think it was even worse than we imagined based on these stories. Um, but what was kind of interesting about the, the book is that. Um, it, you know, Ken, Ken just read the book this week. You know, he, he wasn't really, he didn't really get a say in exactly what I was going to do, but, but he did give his permission basically to all these people to talk to me and, and to talk openly. And so that was, um, for, for them, I think it was almost being like let out of jail in a sense. Like all these guys had these stories that they've been sitting on for 20 years, um, scared to death to tell them to anyone because what would Ken do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, now they've been given this permission and it was just like, uh, I, I don't know. They just, it was all, like, they were dying to tell me stuff. And that, that was kind of, uh, uh, partly why I think the, the book turned out the way it did. It's just like, you know, they had, they had, had some, this freedom to, to, to tell the, their stories and in a way they had never been able to before. So um, it, it's pretty cool, I think. 
And that was one so of the things I, 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 I was real quick. I, I've already learned something. By the way, I, I, I ordered your book. It's going to be here next Friday, and I really can't wait to get my hands on it and read it. Um, did not know Shamrock wasn't – so you're saying Shamrock wasn't his real name? I did not know that. Oh yes, yeah. so you've got a you've got a lot a lot to know. Oh my God, that's, <laughs> well, that's crazy! I didn't know that. Yeah, so Ken Ken was uh, born in Georgia. Uh, his dad was in pretty much immediately out of the picture. His biological dad. He was a a, a a young kid who had been in the army or the air force, and he was like a a bootlegger running moonshine and all kinds of stuff like this. Um, and, and a guy that was not ready at all to have kids. Um, but had um, three three kids anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, God. And so, uh, so then Ken moved uh, with the, her, his mom took up with a guy named Bob Nance, who was a former Army uh, helicopter pilot, and they all moved to California. And and this guy um, Bob Nance was not ready to have three rambunctious kids in his house. And long story short, pretty much all three of uh, the the Kilpatrick was their name. The Kilpatrick boys uh, ended up living on the street. Ten, uh, Ken, when he was 10 years old, and uh, he entered the foster system from there and kind of bounced around uh, in and out of juvie and various uh, foster homes until he ended up at this guy Bob Shamrock's uh, ranch for, for kids. And um, this is kind of like the last stop. If you're like a kid in the California foster system, like this this is kind of your last chance. All the roughest of the rough kids go to go to this place, and if you can't make it there, then you're pretty much just going to end up in in youth, what they call uh, basically youth prison. Um, so uh, that this was Ken's kind of last chance, and and Bob Shamrock in a lot of ways saved his life. So that's the part of the early story with with Ken. Now it's a more brutal and. Um, kind of sad than that uh, as you'll read in the book but that that's kind of the the broad strokes of it wow that is yeah. wild and and uh, you were talking about you had you did over 100 interviews for this book and you even mentioned uh yourself and this is something i've always appreciated about you on bleacher report on twitter is that you're not one of these journalists that needs to be buddy buddies with everyone you don't really pull punches and uh, i i that's something i noticed in the book it wasn't some kind of puff piece it was very um, fair, but it was hard hard on him when it had to be hard on him. It was hard on the people around him, his decision-making. And to Ken's credit, he was very honest about his own decision-making from the, the drug use in WWE to the alcohol abuse to the infidelity. Um, and it, all the people around him seemed to be. And obviously, you know, Ken just read it, so this is his first time seeing it. Has he given you his response to the book yet? <laughs> um yeah, we're sort of working through that. Um, okay, I, I'm not really sure. So um, he he is making a list, of what I called a, a, his list of grievances. Okay, <laughs> no, oh. and, and we'll we'll see how it goes from there. But um, I, I I think overall, uh, he has a positive feeling about the book. There's just a few specific things that uh, rubbed him the wrong way. And, uh, I'll be interested to find out what those are. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, re reading it, I was wondering that because, um, one thing I've, I, you know, again, I've watched the sport pretty much my whole life is that Ken Shamrock has always been known as a guy that, you know, he, he takes uh, things personally sometimes and he's a, you know, sensitive guy and his upbringing reflects that. And it makes sense. And so much of that made sense to me about who he was as a fighter with a camera on sometimes um so i was very interested to see how he responded to it because i was shocked at some of the stories and I, as you were too 
Um, the, the biggest thing I, I, one of my favorite things when you got to it was, uh, this, the filming of the season three of the ultimate fighter, because I always thought watching that, that it was without knowing anything. And, but you have to know the UFC and Dana White, that they made the production a little bit to make Tito look like the baby face and Ken, like the heel, the guy that didn't care. And there was a lot of confirmation of that in there. And, but you did have some of the cast members like a Michael Bisping from his book. And some of the guys that said, Ken didn't really come prepared with the right coaches for that. Yes. I think it's a mix of, of both them trying, there's a lot going on there. Right. So I think that, um, for hardcore MMA fans, they might remember the international fight league. And this was a, a competitive UFC competitor that was just popping up. They had some money behind them. They were going to be on TV. So, uh, Dana White and the UFC were very concerned about them at the time. And, and Ken was in negotiations to be a coach, for the IFL and he, and he told uh, Dana about it or Dana found out about it um, as they were taping the, the ultimate fighter and, and they had a big argument. And so that's probably a, a part of why Ken appeared the way he did on the show. Part of it is also that the show is TV and they need a narrative. They need a good guy and a bad guy. And some of what Ken was doing was just falling into painting him as the bad guy. And then there's also the element of, um, some of it is true. Like, you know, he may not have been uh, prepared to coach contemporary fighters at that time. Uh, certainly not. Uh, he didn't bring the same kind of team of coaches that Tito did. So uh, some of what they said about him on the show is based on, on truth. So all that combines to like uh, create kind of like uh, it feels weird watching it. Like you said, like, you know, it there there is a hit piece element to it. And yet it's also based on in truth in some ways. So it's a, it's an interesting situation that is kind of gray. It's a gray area. Like, like most things in life. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're forcing Dana White's hand to pick who he likes more in a given moment, moment between Tito Ortiz and anyone, uh, it, it means something what pissed him off. If he picks uh, some Tito over someone else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's That, that does say something about how, just how strongly he felt about the IFL and you got to remember like I mean he was on the warpath uh, yeah. people that, that signed a coach there like Milicic like they were just they were dead to to UFC yeah and, to and some, I was to some extent that, still are I mean yeah I was about to say because I, I was happy you mentioned it in the book because Pat Milicic is a guy who was one of the guys that first made you know a well-rounded MMA camp that specialized in everything and on top of being a UFC champion himself trained so many guys that became champion from Jens Pulver to Tim Sylvia to Matt Hughes and, you know, ignored by the UFC at this point. And it was because of the IFL decision. And Ken found himself in a very similar spot right there. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all of the the coaches for the IFL, um, almost all of them are former UFC champions and, and almost none of them have been welcomed back uh, wholeheartedly to to the UFC family. I mean, you're talking about Militich and Boss Rutten and Maurice Smith and um, and. Uh, and Ken Shamrock even like it, it, it's at the point where like the UFC is trying to minimize the role of Ken Shamrock in the history yeah. of the sport. Like if, if, if you can write Ken Shamrock out of this, the history of MMA, like uh, what, what chance does Militich or someone have? Like it, it, it I is mean, uh, exactly. guys. And, and your book did a great job highlighting. And I think 
this, it's it's one of the things that stood out to me, and that's something that Ken said is that so many of the fans uh, presently, fan people have become fans in the last 10, 15 years of MMA, only seem to know Ken from the first Tito Ortiz fight on, and aren't looking at who he was before that. And if Dana White can use that kind of ammo to bury him, that's what they'll do. But um, uh, it made me sad for Ken that that's how he feels that a lot of the fans do between the message boards, even though I'm sure he's not reading those. But it, it's absolutely true that people look back on Ken as that guy rather than the guy he was before the injuries, before the drugs, before everything. Well, so I could add insight on that, too. I mean, the first time I ever saw Ken Shamrock fight, it's terrible to say, but is when Tito beat him and then started digging the grave and Ken got up to shake his hand yeah. and stuff like that. Like and that was and Ken was old then. And that was a long time ago. You know what I mean? But that's just like that's how I was introduced to Ken Shamrock. That's which is, you know, that narrative is very true. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, and despite all that, you know, there was still this public interest in, in Ken, like right up through his last fight with Hoist Gracie then into, the, you know, modern times. He's still setting records, uh, television records for Bellator and stuff. So for whatever reason, people were still interested in Ken, even long, even long past uh, his competitive prime. But uh, I, I kind of felt bad because uh, in a previous life, uh, rather than writing kind of like features and profiles uh, like I do now, uh, I, I kind of wrote like hot take articles for places like Bleacher uh, for like Bloody Elbow and um I remember writing about Ken and like, you know, how pathetic he was and, and how he should hang it up and he doesn't have any business fighting and isn't he embarrassed to be doing this? And um and maybe he well, he was some of those things maybe, but then uh, as I learned for the book, uh, you know, there's a reason he fought into his fifties yeah. and, and it's, it's because he, he owed uh, close to a million dollars in back taxes. And, and that was just a burden that was forever, uh, you know, hanging over him. You know, he, he would, they would make, they would pay chunks of it, but then they couldn't pay all of it. And then there was late fees and penalties. And it was just like this thing that, that, that never went away to the point, yeah. like when I last talked to him in 2018, they still owed money on their taxes. And it's just, uh, I, I, it's just a sad story. I mean, yeah, he unfortunately seemed to have uh, the wrong people around him making decisions with his money on top of making his own wrong decisions. And it's unfortunate it's that it's it's the sad tale of so many guys in the, that are from the pioneering days of this sport. Um, even guys like you see now, like why is BJ Penn still fighting? You know, and you even brought up the, the Hoist Gracie fight with Ken is everyone thought Hoist just wanted to fight him, but Hoist owed a lot of money himself. And right. it, it's it's really unfortunate and that that that's what it is. And, you know, the back half of the book, it was it, it reminded me of certain things. And there, there's guys in the sport that I wasn't like big fans of the pioneering days. But then seeing them like Matt Hughes, I was never a fan of. But I got to a point where he was just getting beat all the time that I'm like, this is just sad now with Vanderlei Silva. What's ha how he's fighting still Quentin Rampage Jackson, Fedor. And it, it's you know, I, I believe Fedor, there's rumors about him having financial issues, which is a damn shame. And it, it's if Ken isn't a cautionary tale for some of these young guys, then I don't know what would be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much a textbook case of, of someone basically mismanaging um, their entire life, like someone who what's kind of sad about it is like we were talking about, he started from such a, a terrible beginning. And yet, d despite that, was able to succeed in this major way. Um, yeah. In, in this sport that he helped create it came out of nothing. And to the point where he was made over a million dollars one year in, in WWF. 
And so he, he did well for himself and then just kind of uh, tossed it all away. And uh, it, it's it's tragic. And um, luckily, like in his personal life, he seems to be in a, a good place now, um, financially less so. You'd like to see someone who's who, who created something like the UFC with with Hoist and Dan Severn and, and, and some of these other guys um, be more comfortable, like live more comfortably maybe. But um at least he survived it. And and that's yeah. really the best thing you can say about it is like that Ken Shamrock is still here today <laughs> because based yeah. on some of the things you read in this book, uh, he really has no business being alive. No, you made him. I mean, it wasn't, you didn't make him sound like it. he made everyone around him said he was basically the Terminator with what he was put into his body beyond performance enhancing uh, drugs, the, the, the actual recreational drugs, the, the classic attitude era and beyond uh, wrestlers, what they were doing in their free time. I was floored by what this dude was putting into his body and still looked the way he did and was able to perform the way he did. Uh, all I can say is that if like uh, professional wrestlers from the 1990s are telling me that like, whoa, Ken Shamrock did a lot of drugs, um, <laughs> then, then let, let me tell you, they, Ken Shamrock, Shamrock did a lot, did a lot, lot of, drugs. of drugs. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's funny because I think a lot of people. I mean, I'm 31. Uh, all of us are right in that age range. A lot of people, their first RH, or their first introduction to Ken was probably the WWF, and you know, he had a pretty damn good run, all things considered. I was telling my fiance before he was a dude that came into wrestling. He was like Ronda Rousey present day in WWE before Ronda Rousey, but they just never really did anything with his character besides a short intercontinental title run. And it's reflected in the book very well. Um, you know, they have those have those moments there where they talk about his match with Vader um, to the, the rock rivalry when he took that steel chair shot that is still on my Twitter feed once a week at minimum in GIF form. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So if you think about it, like, so a lot of people have remember uh, Ken's WWF career. Uh, a lot of people that that's what they're interested in from this book. And there's there's quite a, a bit there. And and they kind of forget that it's just, you're just talking about a couple of years out of his life that he was doing yeah. WWF wrestling. And um, it, it, it's kind of a it's like a. Timing is everything in, in life and wrestling, especially, I think it's just like, uh, who else is there when you're there and what else is going on? And, and Ken just, uh, he had a natural aptitude for, for wrestling, I think, but at the same time he showed up, uh, when, when Steve Austin is getting big, you know, when yeah. the rock is, is there and getting big, he, he came in at roughly the same time that Mick Foley came in as mankind. And it's just, uh, you you know, that that's just bad timing, right? If you want to be the top guy, like as great as Ken was, like uh, Austin and Rock are like all time great pro wrestlers. Yeah. So it's just and like, then you know, it's a rough time that, for him. You, below that, you had below Rock and uh, Stone Cold, you said, you know, generational talents in wrestling in any era. You had you said Mick Foley, Triple H, who you go into some of the stuff with him and Shamrock in there um uh, undertaker there, there were so many it was just i think about if ken came into wrestling in the era where he was fighting in the ufc you know 93 to 95 when it was kind of like this dark period where it was basically brett and sean and sid and taker he probably would have had a bigger main card run uh, almost certainly or if he had came in just slightly after as rock was leaving and you know um it, it's just a, it's all the fact that he came in right then right right as it got 
white hot. And, and that helps him in some ways, right? Because wrestling was at its peak as far as the number of people that were watching. I know I remember one of the Raws that I wrote about, I think uh, 8 million people watched it. You know, yeah. it, it was an insane number. And so um, it, it helps him be remembered by the fans uh, that that so many people were into wrestling at the time. But uh, it does hurt um, that, you know, he's just not rock and he wasn't stone cold and he was never going to be, you know, his, his skill sets. Uh, it's, it's interesting, right? So you're a hardcore MMA fan. So, you know, like in the MMA world, Ken is great when he has to promote yeah. a fight and, and talk sure. about a fight. Um, in wrestling, he was terrible. Like that was, yeah, it was, it was, his promos were terrible. And then he would, he had the, the famous UFC 40 press conference with Tino and you actually named the chapter, the living death, which I, I I, I saw the name of the chapter and I had a great chuckle. It's one of my favorite MMA quotes, but he was up until even his most recent hoist fight, his last fight, his promo was great. Every interview was great. He, it just, it didn't translate to wrestling at all. Yeah. I mean, he, he told me, I think that he thinks that the problem is, is like, if he doesn't believe it, he's not, he can't do it. Um, he can try, but, uh, he can make himself believe that he hates Tito and he can make himself believe. And I think he actually really does hate Hoist Gracie. Um, And and so like, and Don Fry, you know, talked about his, his dad and the fact, you know, that he was cheating on his wife. He talked about that publicly and stuff like that was easy for him to get fired up. Um, I think he was, he had a really hard time convincing himself that he didn't like the rock or whoever, you know, it just, uh, he, he's a method guy and and he wasn't able to, to convince himself. Now, another part of the book that I was really excited to get to um, was the famous uh, the end of the Elite XC, the, the Kimbo Slice fight. Um, <laughs> now, that that has been among uh, there's there's actually two big MMA conspiracy theories surrounding Ken Shamrock. Uh, the first being the Rich Franklin fight, and then this one. Um, I never believed for a second that he bl- bladed or got himself cut intentionally to drop out of the fight. But you can't argue that the circumstances and the timing of it don't raise eyebrows. And I'm pretty sure you'd agree at that point. Oh, oh yeah. So it, it, it's definitely a weird situation. I talked to so many people about this and um, there, there are very different views uh, from people who were there. Uh, about what happened. Uh, a lot of people do believe that he wanted a way out of the fight. And um, uh, so I, I don't know what I believe. Uh, he denies it, of course, but uh, there's also, there was a lot going on. Like there always seemed to be in his life, like his, his adopted father, Bob Shamrock had, had been really sick. He had fallen, he was a diabetic and he had fallen into a coma. And so like the, the weeks before the, the fight, like Ken and his wife were at the hospital every day. Um, so it was a, a really rough time for them personally. And so I, I'm sure there was a, a part of him who, who didn't want to be there. And, sure. and probably when, when the opportunity presented its, hit itself to, to get out of it, um, he, he took it. And so, yeah. um, I say all that not having, you know, I, I don't know what the cut looked like or felt like or what the doctors told him or any of that stuff. You know, we, we all it's easy to say from the, the sidelines like, oh, you should have just fought anyway. Um, it, it's easy to make that decision for somebody else. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that whole 
Elite XC that I would say that week at MMA from the the time where it was announced that Ken wasn't taking the fight to Seth Petrozelli's comments that they offered him money backstage to keep the fight standing had to be one of the craziest weeks I can remember in MMA because you saw this major company that was on CBS, the first MMA company on network television, huge ratings that you think CBS is going to put even more money into them. And then within a blink of an eye, the whole thing collapsed. It was just it was unbelievable. You detailed it perfectly in the book. Yeah, I mean, so this company, Elite XC, was uh, some people leave the part out of the story that they had already lost tens of millions of dollars and were about to go out of business. Um, this was their their last gasp at, at convincing CBS that that it the ratings that they drew were, were worth uh, buying the company is what they wanted. And so um, this was a big deal for them, but they they were failing already, and so yeah. this was this was their their last chance. Uh, the the big fight to draw ratings was Ken versus Kimbo Slice. Um, I think it was going to be huge. It, it would have set a record, and and they lost it like literally the afternoon of the fight. Like their Seth Petrozelli is warming up for his undercard fights. Uh, when when he gets the offer to step in for Ken, like that's how late it happened. And, and like when when I talked to these people, like some of the executives didn't want to be on the record in the book, but like um, you, the the amount they were freaking out <laughs> when when they get a call that says Ken Shamrock is at the hospital, he's cut himself, he's had stitches already, like. At first, they I think they thought someone was trolling them, right? <laughs> like you couldn't yeah. imagine a worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was that was a great chapter. I was also happy that you kind of dove into one of my, you know, one of the more interesting relationships in MMA history is Frank and Ken, obviously, and in how many times they were supposed to fight. And I thought you detailed that really well. And uh, Frank obviously didn't want to be part a part of certain parts of that, but you did get some stuff from him about the Lions then in the early days of his career. Yeah, so I mean, because I've I've had this the the length of kind of career, if you want to call it that, as an MMA writer that I've had, um, I, I'd already talked to Frank like half a dozen times about this stuff, and and you know, it, there was stuff about the Lions Den in my previous book, Shooters and Total MMA, and so I had some from Frank already, and and we had one decent length interview for this book, and uh, you know, I don't want to go into too many of the details, but. Um, our, our, our last conversation ended real negatively, uh, not on my side, but on his. Um, and, and he decided he wasn't going to cooperate anymore with the, uh, with, with the book. Um, and there was a lot of fuck, fuck yous. Can I say that? Yeah. If you <laughs> can me, say whatever you want, man, we say yeah, much worse. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to me yeah. and to, to Ken, I was like, Oh no, did I just say that on like a live radio? But no, 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 you're, <laughs> no, good. you're good, dude. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it was, it was ugly. And, uh, I think, I, so I, I don't, and I don't really understand what, exactly what prompted it. Like, uh, but as you can tell by the book, like I, I, I ask guys hard questions, right? Like, uh, yeah, they're not softball questions. And so I, I'm not sure which one it was that he didn't like, but, uh, uh, he was like, he was out <laughs> uh, much like he was with the lion's den, <laughs> just gone. And I never, I didn't hear from yeah. him again, ex- except for a couple of crazy emails. So that, that was the extent of it. But, um, <laughs> luckily I, I think I had the story there from, from, I'd already talked to Frank about it. And then of course everyone else, um, had their, ver- had their version of it. And, um, it's like when you write a book like that, like this, it's just a matter of trying to, 
you know, everyone has a slightly different story. It's the same story and the central story is the same. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out um, how these versions fit together. And and that was the biggest challenge in, in a section like that. And some of the other ones was trying to mesh these people's visions and how they remembered things that are 20 years old now. And, um, uh, hopefully I, I gave everybody their their fair opportunity to express themselves. That was kind of my goal is like uh, to, to have everybody's recollection there and, and, and the reader can kind of decide on some level uh, what they want to believe. Yeah. And I mean, that was a great thing about having so many different people. I mean, there were uh, there were names in there that I haven't thought of in so long. One that made me happy was Mikey Burnett. I've always really liked Mikey Burnett. Um, but uh, Jonathan, um, this this was really awesome for me. Um, the book was fantastic. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug where uh, people can get your book? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the book is the only thing I really want to plug for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's kind of a struggle. Um because of the time that we're in, uh, you know, I, I had a hardcover book that that we had created, and I wanted to, you know, I, I had a printer to 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 put it out, and uh, these places have shut down because of the coronavirus. So um, right now, the the places you can get it are online at at Amazon and uh, online at BarnesandNoble.com, and then I, I hope eventually to to have copies for sale. Um, that Ken will autograph or that you can buy at Hybrid Shoot or, or at your local bookstore um, if, you know, when the world goes back to normal. But right now it's available at Amazon.com for sure. And, and I really would love to get that hardcover book at some point with uh, the fantastic cover art done by the great Ryan Loco. Um, I really like that. That's a great cover shot. Um, we're also, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, before you're on, uh, we're going to send a free Primal Urge food um, uh, meat stick uh, case to anyone that buys the book, sends me a, co- a screenshot of the receipt. So purchase your book of Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man, and you'll get that for free. Um, and uh, you can follow Jonathan at, at J.E. Snowden on Twitter. That's it. All right, Jonathan, I really appreciate taking some time with us. Um, Again, guys, you got to read the book. Um, I can't wait to see what you have after this, man. I I appreciate it. And I'm going to go immediately and and figure out what the story is with the the meat sticks you're talking about and (laughs) and how I can be a part of that. So uh, (laughs) shoot me me a DM. I'll tell you about it. (laughs) All right, man. All right, man. (laughs) All right, Jonathan, have a good one, buddy. All right. You too. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Sweet. Later. All right, guys, that was Jonathan Snowden, uh, author of Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Uh, As you heard, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, Remember, send me a screenshot. Send us a screenshot and you'll get your free Primal Urge Foods meat stick box. Um, Guys, that was awesome. That was a fantastic interview. I literally have my mind blown, literally, from some of the stuff (laughs) I'm listening. Like, uh, like, I I, I just hearing that Kim, like the Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock fight. I didn't know they were going to fight a league C. And I did fight the Bellator the one time. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Man, I, I and the stuff we talked about there is literally just the surface of what this book has in it. I, I can't stress enough just how good this book is. Jesus. Well, I I, I mean, next Friday, that gives me something to do next week, and i got to learn how to read in a week, so we'll be all right. <laughs> I mean, you've had 28 years, and you're still not there. Not that good. <laughs> what, what does Fragile mean? <laughs> Fragile? It, it's Italian. Um, Talking about the guy who graduated college and didn't realize for a year. Save it, save it, save it. (laughs) Just like you saved picking up your degree. (laughs) 
So, guys, this was episode two of the Fucking You Watch, I Listen, in- <laughs> you Watch I Listen interview series pro- brought to you by PrimalUrgeFoods.com. Go to PrimalUrgeFoods.com. Use promo code YWIL to get 20% off your subscription and get some awesome meat sticks. Thank you to Jonathan Snowden. Go get your shamrock, the world's most dangerous man on Amazon.com. We will be back with episode 101 of You Watch, I Listen dropping tomorrow night. Later, guys. Later. Later.